great honor to be working at the absolute greatest church in Walloon Lake. It's just such a blessing. And, uh, but I mean it. I mean it. And I, I have never been part of a church in my life where I feel so at home. And so uh, it is the goodness of God that has brought me here this morning. And so I'm excited to open the text of Scripture with you this morning as we continue on in our series, One Another. Before I do that, I would invite you to join me in prayer. Jesus, the very precious text of your word this morning that we are going to unfold, I recognize could be fumbled by these human lips. And I pray this morning, God, that you would speak through me, not only through my words, but my tone of voice. As we talk about comfort, it is possible for me to not be comforting with comfortable words. Lord, I pray that your word would comfort us this morning and equip us to comfort others. Amen. Somebody hurt you badly, and you can't get over it, but they don't seem to care. If you've been injured, and the pain that you're feeling just doesn't seem to go away, and you're wondering when, if ever, is God going to do something about it? Maybe that a, a close friend or a loved one even has passed away because of a virus that's going around. But you can't talk about it because every time you do, someone brings up a frustrating political conversation while you're just hurting and confused. You feel stuck or even depressed at this point in life and you barely seem to be able to get up for each day as they come at you. You went to work, when you got there, they told you you weren't essential anymore, and they told you goodbye, but the bills never seemed to say the same thing. They kept coming. Maybe your dreams, and you have big dreams, got shattered, and as you now begin to look towards your future, all you see is a long, dark tunnel with a shadow at the end. There's nothing really in your life that you feel, about it getting, you feel excited about anymore. And no matter who you are and, and no matter what situation you find yourself in and no matter what life stage you're approaching, there are times in every single one of our lives when we all need the same thing, comfort. We need to be encouraged. We need to know that somebody cares. We need to be comforted. And in times like these, where do you go? Where do you turn to? Jack Monday, the international director of the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, made this observation. He said, the truth is, God's people ought to be able to be the greatest agents of his love to broken people, but sometimes we are in the worst. We are the worst simply because we don't know what to say. And unfortunately, I feel like at times I have to agree or even maybe take it a step further. Not only do we say the wrong things, but we often assume that broken people are in the trouble they're in because, well, God must be exactly like me. And if those people were doing what I was doing, they wouldn't be in trouble. They wouldn't be on God's bad list. 
I think in the church sometimes, we often make this assumption about people who are in trouble that there is uh, a level of ungodliness or, or lack of character or plain foolishness because of their mishaps. And I just want to ask the question, what if instead of an opportunity for you to begin to take your place in God's divine seat of judgment, somebody's suffering was actually an opportunity to give unnatural comfort and prepare them for the life of God blessing them? In a moment, we're going to look at a text of Scripture uh, penned by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, and you get the picture from reading between the lines that Paul had been through a ton of suffering, so much so that he looked like death. You looked at Paul and you're like, you look like you've been through a few bad days recently. And some of the Corinthians, what was happening is they were doubting the apostolic authority that he had over the churches. Why? Because how could Jesus Christ ever triumph through such a weak and miserable and perishable person? I mean, if you serve the great and God, uh, high and holy God so well, why are you suffering so much? Many evaluated him from a worldly perspective. And so Paul's unending suffering seemed to cast doubt over his apostolic claim and the shame that some attached to this suffering called into question his authority. In fact, one commentator kind of put words in their mouth saying, surely God's redemption in Christ was designed to free us from such trials. And unfortunately, I think many have unknowingly bought a similar prosperity gospel in this day and age. The reality is, yes, that sometimes, miraculously, God intervenes to provide escape from suffering, out of suffering. But just as true at other times, God miraculously intervenes to provide abundant strength and help to endure through suffering. And both, both should be seen as God's provision and grace. In fact, God often provides abundant strength and help to endure through suffering through the comfort that comes from his children. To this end, Paul pens the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And if uh, you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me as we read this text of Scripture together. 2 Corinthians 1, and we're going to read from verses 3 all the way to verse 7. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Well done. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. 
This morning, like I said, I want to continue in our series, One Another, which is a collection of talks all about how we can be the church by being there for one another in these extremely unprecedented days. And I'm going to be preaching this morning about how God comforts us in our weakness and suffering so that we in turn can comfort others as they go through their own trials. In fact, with that in mind, I want to entitle this message this morning, if you're taking notes, simply Comfort One Another. Comfort One Another. There is a lot to unpack in this text that unfortunately I don't have the time to get to, but I will do my best to get to most of it. When you first read this text, somebody tell me, what's the one word that really, 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 really stands out? Comfort! 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 In, in the ESV, we read the word comfort. In the NIV, you're probably going to read the word um, uh, co- consolation or comfort. Uh, and, and this word shows up 10 times, 10 times in just these few short verses. In fact, it refers to not only just feeling good, but the, the help of the highest kind. Help of the highest kind. This is the comfort that God supplies to his suffering people, which is available to all of God's children who suffer, and to be shared with each other in a very special amount of fellowship. The meaning of this word, it comes from the Greek word parakaleo, which is a verb um, meaning to help in the highest sort, help of the highest sort, parakaleo. Now, this word in this context is a form of the same word that Jesus uses in John 14, 16. The word that he uses there is parakletos. Okay, so you can notice that it's a very similar looking word. It's the same conjugation of the verb. And, and, and this word, this word refers to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter, another helper, another advocate. This is somebody who is a helper of the highest sort. Now, obviously in John 14, Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit. That was the way that God was going to help his apostles. And so, while it's not the same teaching as 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, the word is the same, and the use of the word in one text can give us a clue to the meaning or the range of meaning of a word in another text. In fact, actually, of the 59 times that this version of the word is used, Parakletos, parakaleo. This word is used 59 times in the New Testament. Of the 59 times that it shows up, half of them, 29 of them, show up in this book of 2 Corinthians. And so it is the predominant theme that Paul has on his mind right out of the gate when he's writing this second letter to the Corinthians. This is huge for Paul. He is emphatically talking about the help that God supplies to his people in the midst of their sufferings. One definition of the word actually calls to mind the way that God brings his children to his side so that he can strengthen them and hold them up as they walk through difficult times. So Paul takes this term, comfort, and says, God is the one who supplies all of it. He is the God of all comfort. Translation Is comfort happening? God brought it. He's the God of all 
comfort. He's not only praised for his mercy, but he makes the grand statement that God is the God of all comfort. Now, for us, I think the word comfort maybe connotates a a sense of emotional relief, right? A sense of physical ease, satisfaction, freedom from anxiety. I would even go so far to say as many in our culture worship at the cult of comfort, amen? This this search for self-centered ease unfortunately only lasts for a moment. And, and actually, one commentator has said, in our culture, this word comfort has really gone soft. Because what Paul is referring to is not this pretentious feeling of contentment. It's not this, this, this tranquilizing dose that kind of dulls the pain for a little bit. No, no, no. It is a, it's a, it's a stiffening agent, a, uh, a strengthening agent that fortifies somebody in their mind, in their heart, in their soul, in their body. Comfort not only relates to encouragement, but health and exhortation and strengthening. It's almost like rebar that a contractor would use to strengthen the support of a building. God comforts and strengthens weak knees. He, he sustains sagging spirits. Whenever the believer is facing troubles, God provides unbending resolve with unending assurance. This is comfort. This is help of the highest sort. We know that God's promises are most directly experienced when we are the most in need of them. And so the same power, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Paul is saying, is available to the believer who is suffering. Many throughout history have called into question whether or not God was good, especially when it comes to his people suffering. Uh, the, the, the Roman naturalist and Stoic Pliny the Elder said this, he said uh, that a supreme being, whatever it may be, pays heed to human affairs is a ridiculous notion. You may have heard a same, similar version of that. Oh, yeah, you invented some nice guy in the sky to comfort you when you feel bad because you just had to find a way out of a terrible situation, so you made up something. I've literally had friends tell me this. In fact, I was talking with a friend uh, a couple days ago who has this idea of God. Our God, our God, by contrast, is the one who sees the misery of his people. He hears us. When we cry out, he's concerned about our suffering so that he comes down to rescue and strengthen us. Amen? Paul understands that God acts decisively and he's proved it in Jesus to deliver us not only from the bondage of sin, but from the effects of that in our lives. God is the father of the one crucified. He is intimately acquainted with our suffering. He absolutely does not shy away from us, but moves towards us when we are facing affliction. In other words, God may not always remove the afflictions that come our way, as he refused to do with his own son, Jesus. But God always comforts us by giving us the strength to face them. This comfort, don't miss this, this kind of comfort is actually a foretaste of the glory to come. So to refuse God's help during your trial begging him for another way out, blaming him for the suffering along the way, or even taking God's place to relieve the suffering, whether it be with a substance or a substitute God or even life-ending measures. To refuse God's help through suffering is to refuse in disbelief the final and ultimate comfort from God in our glorification. 
is to say to God, no thanks, uh, that's not enough. I, I don't actually believe that what you say is going to come true. And even if it did, I don't think it would really be enough. I want my inheritance now. Take it away now. Because I don't trust you in the future. That's what we're saying when we refuse the comfort of God and the hope of glory. No, 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 no. God is the God of all comfort, not only to come, but currently. God is the God of all comfort. He strengthened us even in the middle of our trials. Amen? So he goes on to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercy in the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any other affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Can you imagine if you never, ever went through suffering, how helpful would you be to those around you? In verse 4, we find this word, affliction. Uh, In the NIV, you'll see it translated as trouble. Uh, In the NASB, you'll see it translated as affliction. Basically, the word has to do with being under pressure to the point that there's... um, You feel like you're in a narrow place with no way of escape. Paul's not theorizing here in general terms. No, no, he's referring to persecution, to being restricted, to being under pressure that not only himself but the Corinthians would be very acquainted with, right? Take, for example, his own experiences documented in Scripture, whether it was riots or mobs or plots against his life, whether it was false accusations against his honor, against who he was, frankly, what he's defending here in 2 Corinthians, whether it was imprisonment or even stoning. Paul was afflicted, very acquainted. He's not speaking on some theological platitude here. He's referring to personal experience saying, no, 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 I have been strengthened by the helper, the comforter. And there's a purpose to that, so that I can do the same with you. Notice that in this text, suffering for the believer is not just a chance happening. It's not just an unlucky experience. God promises suffering to those who follow him. God promised suffering to Paul himself when he called him in Acts chapter 9. So trouble and affliction is to be expected. In fact, the, 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 the fact that you may not actually be currently suffering is the mercy of God. You can expect that at some point in your life. So Paul, as he's speaking to this audience in Corinth, called to live for Jesus in a world that hates our Lord and Savior... It seemed like there was no way out. It felt like they were kind of locked up in this small, dark place. For most of them, this pressure would actually continue all the way into their death. But all the while, undergoing that pressure, they were receiving help from the highest source. And as they received that help, they shared it comforting one another. In fact, Paul actually never tried to explain away the problem of suffering. You ever notice that in the writings of Paul in the New Testament? He actually doesn't try to explain how God could possibly be good if he allows suffering for his believers. He doesn't. He didn't welcome it, but he never asked why do bad things happen to good people. He didn't try to flee from it or shield himself from it. Instead, he recognized that, no, 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 I'm going to embrace this because this is a chance to know intimately Jesus in his sufferings. 
You know, abandoning Jesus while you're suffering, calling God into question and just and, and leaving him because of pain, whether in your life or somebody else's life, it may seem or promise right away to be an escape from suffering, but suffering is a, is a common experience for humanity. You live long enough, you're going you're gonna to experience affliction, trouble, suffering. You're not going to escape that. But abandoning Jesus in the middle of it means you are abandoning the only source of all comfort. God's comfort is not going to always remove the affliction. Sometimes it may. And we praise God for those moments. We really, really do. But God also gives us the grace to face it. God comforts his people so we can be a comfort to others. And this comfort is not meant to stop with us. In fact, God actually gives us a surplus of comfort in our trouble. Why would God overflow me with an unnecessary amount of comfort that I can't possibly experience all of it? Why? Because the person next to you needs it. God gives you a surplus of comfort so that you can comfort others. The way that the economy of the kingdom of God works is you actually experience more comfort the more you pour it out to someone else. It keeps coming and keeps filling you as you keep pouring it out. It's not given just to make you feel better, and that is a grace of God. But it is given to you not only to strengthen you, but to strengthen somebody else. In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say in verses 5 and 6. He says, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ." We share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, why? It's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we've suffered. Please don't miss this very small, crucial word that cues us in. It's a purpose clause. It cues us into the reason that Paul is writing this. It's the word for, right at the beginning of verse 5. For as we share. For, like, this happens because, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we also abundantly share in comfort. In other words, we're brought closer to God through Jesus Christ. The reason we share abundantly in suffering is so that we can share abundantly in Jesus' comfort. God leans in closer when we suffer. He's the God of all comfort. He leans in closer. I don't enjoy suffering or affliction. I think that makes me normal. But I don't want to miss out on the special intimacy with the Savior that only the trials of the Christian life bring. We see this with Paul. His abundant suffering was met by a super abundance of God's comfort that makes him more than sufficient to comfort other people. Paul, on his own, was not very good at comforting other people. In fact, people would refer to Paul as uh, very disappointing in person. That, that was one of the Things people would say about Paul. He has powerful words, but in person, what a letdown. Paul was not the source of comfort, though. He was simply a relay station. 
It's been said that the art of consoling others is often learned in the school of suffering. God's comfort is intended to be used so that we can comfort others in their suffering so that they can in turn approach God because of the comfort he uses us to minister to them. People are brought closer to God when we bring God's comfort to them. We, as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we then share in the comfort of Christ. And then as we share that comfort with others, we become a testimony to the goodness of God. There's plenty of people out there who have words of, you should have done this. Serves you right when it comes to other people's sufferings. But what if, what if there was comfort available to the weakest of needs? What, what if there was strength available to those going through the hardest of times? And what if the world knew about it because of those who follow him? I tell you, that'd be a game changer. Interestingly enough, lest you fear more pain as you enter into the pain of other people. Notice this. Verse 5. This is how the economy of God works. Paul overflows in abundance as he receives God's comfort and shares it with others. There's this word that is translated in the NIV, abounds, and the ASV is translated share abundantly. That word is the word perisui, which I hope I say that right. But essentially what it means is, is to abound, abundantly experience, and in the commercial context, it refers to a profitable margin, a, a surplus. In other words, Paul is picturing two columns on a balance sheet here. He's picturing two columns on a balance sheet, and, and as he fills up on the sufferings of Jesus, not only is he met with the similar amount of, suffer, of comfort from Jesus, he is met with a superabundance of comfort. And the more he enters into other people's sufferings, the more he abounds with comfort from God himself. The more that you enter into the suffering of someone else, intending to bring the comfort of God that he has brought to you, actually you begin to receive more and more comfort. That's what the text is saying here. So as our sufferings are shared among one another in the body of Christ, we have the divine opportunity to share in the comfort that God offers us as well. I, I like how one commentator said it, suffering or Christianity is not the religion of the alone communing with the alone no, 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 we are one another. Therefore, I don't want you to miss this. We experience God's comfort when other Christians share comfort with us. That is the vehicle through which we experience the comfort of God. The Holy Spirit moves a believer, comforts them, and overflows out of their life onto somebody else. In other words, when we're refusing divine intervention of the Holy Spirit, Parakletos, 
We refuse that when we refuse the comfort, the parakaleo that comes through God through other believers, from God through other believers. You want to limit God's activity in your life and in someone else's life? Refuse the comfort that is being offered to you from other believers. Refuse the hospitality that is extended. I can't tell you how often I see this happen in the body of Christ in an act of, I might even say, fake humility. It's not weak or humble to refuse hospitality. It's not. On the contrary, it is stifling the divine activity of God in and through his church to heal wounds and bless a world that desperately needs his supernatural comfort. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing to refuse hospitality. And more often than not, it's it's not even a humble thing. It's a proud thing. Now, let me offer a very crucial caveat. And I'm going to be very careful to say this tenderly. Please be very careful before forcing your version of help onto someone else. It's actually possible to hurt someone in an effort to help them. I'm going to talk in a little bit about how to offer effective comfort to someone in pain, but the real need to grow in your capacity to receive hospitality does in no way give you the license to be careless in offering it. The real need for you to grow in receiving hospitality doesn't give you the license to be reckless and careless in forcing it on someone else. That's a skill to be learned. That being said, the point remains. If you want to limit God's activity in your life, limit God's supernatural comfort in your life, be very good at refusing comfort and hospitality as it's being offered from other believers. That is actually God working through somebody and through you. Here's why. Paul's claiming in this text that we actually experience God's comfort by caring for someone else in the midst of their suffering. I'm comforted and you're comforted when I try to comfort you. When I, when I share the comfort I've received with you. Sometimes a sudden onslaught of, of affliction may, may tempt you to retreat into a shell, to kind of close yourself off and, and, and avoid pain and shut yourself from others. The suffering, however, at that point becomes wasted. It becomes pointless. Those who focus on themselves are the most miserable people, especially in suffering. But Paul is saying people who turn their suffering And their pain into helping others can actually conquer and overcome the pain. This is key. This is key. We experience an increase in God's comfort when we not only receive it from God, but we share it with others. This is exactly why Paul held on to so much hope for the church in Corinth. And what I believe there's so much hope for each one of us who gather here in Walloon Lake and online. That that, he says in verse 7, our hope is for you is for for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings where's the hope you will also share in the abundance of suffer, of comfort that we've received from God you'll share in our comfort the corinthians the believers in the church of corinth had united sorrows they were all suffering but they also had united comfort And they held on to the same 
hope of glory. United sorrows and united joy tend more than anything else to bind people together. In other words, unity is the surprising result of shared suffering and shared comfort. And of all the things that this world so desperately needs, it is obvious that unity is clearly near the top of the list. So in the eternal paradox of the kingdom of God, suffering has a surprising way of taking us from mine and others to one another. Suffering takes us to that point. And it's as we comfort each other in our afflictions, we begin to move from hate-filled individuality to hope-filled unity, comforting each other in our sufferings. It's our united sorrows and our united comforts that will bind us together more than anything else. Here's the point. Here's the point of what Paul is saying. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Now, as well as something like that rolls off the tongue, I must admit in the same breath it's very difficult to live out. In fact, the complexity of situations requiring comfort and the many different ways in which comfort may be applied to those in pain make it really difficult to know what to say or do, if anything, at all. How exactly should I, as a follower of Jesus, comfort others? I can't say that I'm an expert in this. Ask my wife. But... What I would like to do for the next couple minutes is share five things I have learned from others who have taught me in this particular school. Number one, learn to just be present and allow someone to silently sit with their pain. It's often not the words we say, but merely our presence that is strengthening to the spirit of someone who is silently in pain. I believe we'd be well on our way to learn how to comfort others. If we could communicate this message with our words, you're allowed to hold your pain tenderly, to breathe it in silence, to whisper it in safe places, and and someday, one ordinary day, you'll notice it's no longer casting a shadow on everything you do. And when it's time, when it's time, you'll find yourself living in the purpose that didn't come from your hands gripping pain's neck, wringing answers from it, you'll find yourself living in the purpose that came from just letting his holy hands hold you as you held your pain with honesty. Recently, I found wisdom from a woman named, I think her name is Chariah Calabras. I don't know how to say it. But she said, I think as believers, we face an immense amount of pressure, place an immense amount of pressure on ourselves to make sense of our suffering. We... Find a sense of virtue in squeezing purpose out of our pain. God promised to make beauty from our ashes, and in our desire to control so we hurt less, it's easy to start scooping up our ashes and try to breathe meaning into them. It's easy to pack our ashes into a snowball of purpose so we can just move on. And the strength found in that promise is that we don't actually have to be the ones giving meaning to our wounds. He will, but you don't have to. You're allowed to say, this hurts, and I don't know why. As long as it takes, and your, your healing doesn't rely on the 
doesn't, doesn't ride on the back of explanations, but on the spine of honesty. Give yourself permission to sit with pain as God sits with you. Give yourself permission to hold pain with honesty while being carried by the one who promises to bring forth beauty. I love that message, and if we were able to communicate that powerful message to someone simply by being present with them and not offering an abundance of words, I think we will, we'd be well on our way to ministering healing and comfort. It's your, it's your presence more than your words. Number two, the second thing I've learned is don't talk about your own suffering. I'm sure maybe this is obvious, especially if you've gone through pain or affliction or trial or suffering. But you don't have to give the impression that you've been through the thing yourself and you can understand. Even if you have suffered a lot and in a very similar manner, don't miss this, that all suffering is unique. Every single experience of suffering is absolutely unique. There are things that the person has tasted in a way that no one else has tasted. Therefore, the comfort we give should not include statements like, I know what you're going through, or something like that. We, we don't. It's, it's almost worthless to say that. Even if you do have the capacity to empathize, and you might, it will be seen and known by your presence and your patience and your mercy. Let's stop talking about our own suffering as we try to comfort others. I'm learning that as well. Number three, quit the blame game. Now this gets biblical and theological, so you will need to discern the right moment to say this, but to remind those who are suffering that their pain, pain does owe to the universal sin of mankind, but their pain is not always owing to a specific sinfulness in the one who suffers. Therefore, this suffering does not need to be an indictment of a particular flaw of theirs. In fact, there are many scriptures that deal with the suffering of the righteous. Not just the suffering of those who need cor correction. This, this will change the way that we approach affliction and pain. I love how this concept is beautifully raised in Hebrews chapter 11. After, uh, this is a great chapter on faith, and after a litany of verses on those who were victorious and overcame and, and escaped death through faith, Paul, on a dime, without the middle of a verse even, without giving any warning, says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and imprisonment and chains and flogging. They were stoned. They were, okay, this is PG-13. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And all of this was said to be by faith, by great and commendable faith. Those who led their lives in utter misery are said to be champions of faith. Just as those who experienced the miracles of deliverance were champions of faith. Many in the church around us choose not to receive our comfort 
because it's laden with underhanded comments that imply blame to the one suffering for some fault of their own. And instead, they choose to bear their burden alone rather than bear the reproach of those who claim to follow the God of all mercy and comfort. Tell me what's wrong with this picture. Let's quit the blame game. I believe it could be possible for us to alleviate a large quotient of suffering on planet Earth if we would make the simple shift from blaming one another to comforting one another. Number four. Listen. Though it can be difficult, and I'll be the first to admit it, limit your own opinions and advice. Oh man, this one does not come from a perfect preacher. (laughs) Oh, I am learning this one as we speak. Someone grieving, however, may be angry at something you are very fond of. Firefighters policemen or government officials or your freedom of public demonstration. Someone grieving may be angry at something you are very fond of. Even if you believe their words are untrue, now is not the time to disagree. Let them grieve and talk through their feelings out loud as you listen. There's a difference between ultimate truth and emotional truth. And it's the difference between what is real and what someone is really feeling in the present moment. It might even be said that listening is the ultimate skill in comfort giving. When we listen, and I mean really listen, we demonstrate that people matter, that their problems exist. Listening affirms the worth of another human being. So great listeners are not able to just cultivate the capacity to hear what's being said to but to really understand the feelings of what's being communicated. Sometimes someone has to talk their way towards what they really are experiencing. And if you cut them off at a word that you deemed was incorrect right away, more often than not, they'll choose to bear that burden without you. Let's learn to listen better. And finally, and certainly not least, certainly not least, Keep praying with undying hope. Don't give up on praying patiently and long-sufferingly for relief and for comfort and for healing. I think sometimes we settle in with sickness because we've prayed for just so long. We've prayed for so long and we've just given up on hope. Unless you get a pretty clear word from the Lord, don't give up in this hope. Don't give up praying for relief and for healing. In order to avoid vain repetitions, sometimes we give up. We, we just go, oh man, I've pray- I just prayed this so many times. I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm repeating vain repetitions to God. I don't, I don't want to do that. So here's the, try this. In order to avoid vain repetitions, try this. Try asking for specific kinds of relief each day. Maybe it's um, a particular sore. Let's just say it's a person in your family and you're able to gently lay a hand on that sore and you pray for something very specific each day. 
God, heal this sore. Or God, God, bring relief. God, bring an abundance of whatever needs to happen in the body to heal that sore. You pray for specific things each day, or maybe it's the one suffering hasn't been able to sleep in many nights. And so you just pray over their dreams. And then you pray over the way they approach bedtime. And they, you pray over the way that they feel at night. And you, and, you, and you pray over specific things to avoid vain repetitions. And that's what you focus on in prayer. Maybe it's some relational burden or a child adding to that burden or a marriage or a spouse or a parent. But don't ever stop praying in the presence of those people suffering to God for their healing. There's always a measure of relief that we could use. And, and Jesus himself said, do unto others as we would have others do unto us. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And, and, and wouldn't you want relief from pain? Don't ever stop praying for relief from pain. How can we not ask the God of all comfort that there is some measure of relief? Let's not give up on hope. Let's remain faithful in prayer. It could be that the answers to your prayers bring healing and comfort and God is glorified in a situation that was previously marked by pain. Don't give up. Remain steadfast in hope. I recognize that this is not exhaustive. This does not cover every circumstance. You'd have to give me 30 hours to preach. But in the eternal paradox of the kingdom of God, suffering has a way of taking us from mine and others to one another. As we comfort one another in our sufferings, we go from hate-filled individuality to hope-filled unity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any other affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. So let's comfort one another. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercy. And we pray that you would give us the grace to grow in our capacity to comfort one another. I pray that the world would experience your glory, that Jesus would be lifted high in his church because we have become the relay station. We have become the people to which the world goes to find comfort. Please be glorified in the way that we comfort others. Amen.